Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. I am Trish Regan. This is the Trish Regan Show, and we get some breaking news to get to concerning concerning a little bit of this. Where's the money? I'm joking. Mr. President, can I try to put a bunch of malarkey? Mr. President, what do you say? Oh, maybe not. Maybe not, after all. Wait to hear what's happening. Plus, Donald Trump has officially filed for a mistrial in the civil fraud case in New York. I'm going to bring you the details on that. And we got to talk a little bit more Israel here and a little bit more about just exactly who is in Congress because there's a pretty unbelievable report that is uh, being featured right now, actually, in the New York Post and on the Daily Mail about Rashida Tlaib and some of her Facebook friends, quote unquote. Anyway, we got a lot to cover. I'm so glad you're here. As you just saw, let's go back to that for a second. As you just saw, we are brought to you in part, as always, by Legacy Precious Metals, our main sponsor here on the Trish Regan Show. If you're worried about inflation, if you're interested in investing in alternatives, things like silver or gold, these are the guys to call. You know Charles, you've met him here on the program. He runs the whole company, Charles Thorngren, and uh, just just a great team over there, wonderful team. In fact, I just want to point out Charles's generosity because when I was working to raise money for Israel in that immediate aftermath, do you know that Legacy Precious Metals was matching All of your donations up to, I think it was five grand. Anyway, I just was blown away by that, by their generosity there. And um, clearly, I think we all kind of see eye to eye on a lot of these topics. So very, um, very, very good company. Let's turn here to the news of the day. As I said, Hunter Biden asking to subpoena Trump and former Attorney General Bill Barr. I mean, just when you thought this stuff couldn't get any more weird, right? It seems as though it just can't help but get any more weird. It's unbelievable. Now now he's going after Donald Trump because, well, he said Trump was going after him. <laughs> I mean, hey, guess what? It's politics, baby. It's Hollywood, baby, right? Wasn't that Rachel Zegler's line, the uh, Snow White that may may not be Snow White anymore, whole other story, but Disney's having all kinds of trouble. Anyway, it, clearly, I think that this is a desperate move, a really, really desperate move to, well, try to go on offense at a time when, let's be very clear, there's not a whole lot of offense there. I mean, the guy was on drugs, and he went and bought a gun, and I guess lied about it, And basically had worked out a little plea deal along the way. And now he's like, okay, no, the only reason I'm getting charged with this is because Donald Trump doesn't like me. (laughs) And uh, that is really kind of unbelievable. I'm just communicating with some of you. I see you in in the live chat and communicating with our production team as well. Uh, this (laughs) This is just sort of Almost funny, but not. So Hunter's like, wait a second. Like, you wouldn't care about this unless, of course, I was the son of the president. Well, listen, like, that's just kind of how it works. You are the son of the president. So all the more reason for you to be held to certain kinds of standards. All the more reason for you, Hunter Biden, if you're going to do deals over in China and Romania and Ukraine, to come clean and to say, I'm going to register as a foreign agent. I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to try and live a healthier lifestyle, right? Because daddy is VP and maybe on his way to the presidency. Duh. 
And you know what? People said, well, you know, what can you do? He's a full-grown adult. If you're Joe Biden and your son does that, even though, even though Obama said, uh-uh, not happening, no way, not under my watch, he actually specifically called out his whole, all his cabinet members, everybody who was on his team and said, I don't want anybody's family working as a foreign lobbyist. So um, not sure if that did any good with Hillary, right? Right, CGI. But anyway, his point was, I don't want this happening. And yet it was happening anyway. And there were reports at the time that members of the Obama administration were, were rather concerned, but it all got swept under a rug until Donald Trump came into office, saw the emerging threat of Joe Biden. And yes, maybe might have gone looking for dirt. Uh, that's what they're alleging. But then again, isn't that what happens? The difference, I'll tell you, between, say, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Well, there's a lot of differences. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> a lot. Um, like one can walk and the other can't. But anyway, I, I digress. The difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump is that Donald Trump makes the mistake of getting his hands dirty, right? He does his dirty work himself, as opposed to, say, having the surrogates do it, having the team do it. You don't see Joe Biden repeatedly coming out and interfacing with the media and, you know, roughing things up the way you did with Donald Trump. Why? Because, oh, Donald Trump, he'll take that on himself. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't leave the surrogate to go and do it. And it happens, in, on either side, right? Either side, it's just that it's a little more behind the scenes and disguised under Hunter Biden. I mean, do you think it's interesting at all that Menendez, who everybody's known has been corrupt like forever, right? Like he's already had all these allegations and stuff before. Like they come after him at a rather interesting time. That's a senator from New Jersey. And then what about Eric Adams in New York? I'm not justifying any of this, by the way. Like you, you can't be taking deals on the side while trying to take campaign funds, et cetera, et cetera. But I just question why it's happening all now. In other words, did Eric Adams step out of line when he said he didn't want all these immigrants coming into New York City? Yeah. Like, like that stuff actually carries weight, and it carries weight with Biden and all the surrogates who then furiously go to work, I guess, behind the scenes. I mean, again, like I said, it's politics. And in politics, well, you know what they say? If you want a friend, get a dog. So Hunter Biden had to have known with his dad becoming president that he was going to be under some scrutiny, unlike what he maybe had seen before. And yet he wasn't willing to actually, you know, do the things that he needed to do. And his Where's dad kept saying this. I'm joking. Mr. President, a bunch of malarkey. Mr. President, what do you say? <laughs> yeah. Malarkey. I like that one. I think my grandmother used to say that. It's like an Irish expression. It means a bunch of BS, but it's not. Not in this case. I don't think. I mean, again, these are all allegations. And so this is just my opinion. Very, very clear on that. It's just my opinion. But when I see bank records and I see so many different LLCs set up and I see all this money that's seemingly going from one country into another, right, into the U.S., when I see the multitude of suspicious activity reports being filed by six major U.S. banks from J.P. Morgan to Bank of America, I mean, big, big names in there. I just start to say, this doesn't look good, right? It just doesn't look good. And then you factor in not paying the taxes, not declaring the income, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you get yourself a good old-fashioned problem. So he's trying to divert. It is a desperate act. But let me get to what they actually filed. So they put papers in court, all right? So these are the defense attorneys, Abby Lowell and Bartholomew Dalton. And they are saying that 
there was a, a concerted effort to deliberately go after Hunter Biden because of who he was and that that is inherently the problem. They're citing actually some things from Attorney General Bill Barr's book. Apparently, he, he said in the book that Trump bugged him a lot about you know, where are we on the Biden stuff. And so consequently, this subpoena for Trump includes, quote, a demand for all personal records, including diaries, journals, memoirs, memorandum or notes from the relevant time period discussing or concerning Hunter Biden, including but not limited to reference to any formal or informal decision, discussion or request to investigate or prosecute Hunter Biden. Ah, wow, the move is another wild twist, shall we say, in a case that just keeps getting more and more strange. I mean, first of all, we've never had the child, full-grown adult, of a sitting U.S. president be charged with, with a criminal prosecution. So, so that's kind of a headliner. And, of course, we've never had that for president either, right? So both sides are making news here. But um, what's what's interesting here is how they're trying, as I said earlier, to go on the offense. Mr. Biden seeks specific information from three former DOJ officials and the former president, it reads, that goes to the heart of his defense that this is possibly a vindictive or selective prosecution arising from an unrelenting pressure campaign beginning in the last administration in violation of Mr. Biden's Fifth Amendment rights under the Constitution. Um, look, we don't, we don't know whether that's true or not, but what I'm just going to say is my point from earlier. You go into politics, you have to know and understand what you're getting into. All right, let's be... Let's be very clear. It's one of the reasons, by the way, nobody wants to go into it anymore. Like, you're going to be clean. The whole family's going to be clean. They never, ever could have. You know the expression, right? Show me the man, I'll show you the crime. And so I'm not going to say it's impossible that they were digging around a little bit. But as I understand this, as I understand this from my reporting, this case initially came to the FBI because I don't even like having to say this stuff on live YouTube, but Hunter Biden, well, let's just say he uh, had some curious characters that he uh, was clearly doing something with, right? So there was this alleged amateur porn ring. I'm saying that really, really fast that the FBI was investigating and somehow that led them to Hunter Biden's laptop. And so that would suggest that that case was actually sort of in the works and it was already brewing and and it wasn't necessarily politically motivated, although I'm sure if Donald Trump found out about it, he'd be like, uh-huh, yeah, give me some give me some updates on that one. I'm I I could see that happening. Now, is that illegal? What's interesting is that we now have how many trials four? There's like two federal, two state trials against Donald Trump himself, and some of them, like they're really wild. Like at least in this one against Hunter, he did some really shady stuff, if you ask me. I mean, he, he pleaded to some of it. So I guess I can I can say pretty openly he was willing to admit that he didn't pay his taxes. Right. And, and he didn't register as a foreign agent. He just wanted to get off on the, the gun charge because what the charge was, was that he wouldn't admit that he was using illegal drugs when he went to get that gun. And that would be a pretty big deal. And so this is why he's, he's facing all these legal challenges right now. And they had a plea deal. It didn't work out. Everybody's kind of curious about that one because how did he ever get the plea deal to begin with? And thank goodness a judge somewhere had the good sense to say, 
uh-uh, something is not adding up. And she was right. And so now they're back to square one. He's freaking out and he's subpoenaing Trump. I mean, whether or not this will succeed, we'll see. But it's, it's troubling. And I, I think this brings us to now Donald Trump himself. Breaking news right now, Donald Trump is filing for a mistrial in the New York fraud case to, quote, salvage what is left of the rule of law. He's citing bias from the judge, from the staff on the case. And, hey, you got the AG that campaigned, of course, on this idea that she was going to take down Trump. That's why that election for her, or that vote for her, was so important. I'm talking about Letitia James, the New York Attorney General. Anyway, he did file just today. It was something that was alluded to by his, by his attorney. Here she is on Maria Bartiromo, my former colleague over at Fox, on her Sunday show, talking about just how crazy this all is, including the fact that she can't even speak openly. But she did say on that program she was going to file for a mistrial, and it has happened. I'm trying to show you some sound here. (laughs) We may get to it. We may not. This is the beauty of live TV. So for all of you who are saying, wait a second, Trish, are you really live? The answer is yes, ladies and gentlemen, I am really live. So anyway, she went on. This is his attorney there. And she said, look, I can't talk about anything. I've got this gag order. How is it fair? How is it fair that his side is not represented by his own attorneys while Letitia James can go out there and spout her mouth off. Uh Uh-huh. All right, so let's get to it. Um, Here, if you look at this motion that was filed, they say, quote, specifically the court's own conduct coupled with principal law clerk, this is Alyssa uh, Allison Greenfield, unprecedented role in the trial and extensive public partisan activities, it would cause even a casual observer to question the court's partiality or lack thereof, right? This is what they're arguing in their motion. Thus, only the grant of a mistrial, they write, can salvage what is left of the rule of law. Then they go on to assert that the court has predetermined, quote, the outcome of this proceeding and is merely going through the motions before it ultimately doles out punishment. So they um, conclude with this. I'll just read it to you here. Again, this just coming in, breaking right now. It is official. They have filed for a mistrial. Do they get it? We'll talk about that in a second. On a fundamental level, the lawyers write, the way to dispel the appearance of impropriety is not to double down by precluding comment on it or by simply ignoring its manifest existence. At this point, the taint of these proceedings is both obvious and irreversible. Worse, even the court has abrogated its constitutional responsibility to ensure each defendant, including President Trump, receive a free, fair trial, a fair trial free from even the appearance of impropriety and impartiality. Therefore, given the demonstrable partisan bias present on the bench at trial, the only way to maintain public confidence in a truly independent and impartial judiciary and the rule of law is to bring these proceedings to an immediate halt. You know what? Here, here. Because this is one case, you know, I don't really like any of them so much, but this is one case that I just got to say really jumps the shot, right? Like really, because it is so egregious in that there's no actual 
sufferer. Like there's nobody that actually got hurt in this. Like if you, if you're bringing this complaint, wouldn't you say, okay, you know, Deutsche Bank's shareholders, they lost out or the investors lost out because he inflated the value of his real estate, even though, you know, there's a little asterisk that said, do your own diligence, et cetera. And that's what a bank is supposed to do before they make a loan. Right. And yet they, they proceed forward with this and we know why. And that's what's frightening. And so now Hunter, keep in mind, as we begin the show with Hunter saying, oh, I want to subpoena Trump. I want to subpoena Barr. He's trying to say, well, they're going after me too. The difference is, buddy, there's something to actually go after, <laughs> right? Like there's, there's some there there, as we like to say. Whereas with this one, it's like, well, wait, well, what is, what is the issue? Okay, so he, he, he thinks Mar-a-Lago is worth a lot more. Um, uh, I, I, I'm like... Well, you know, we all think that things have a certain value or a certain worth. And are we not entitled to be able to do that? I mean, I may think my house is worth more than you think, or, you know, somebody else may think it's worth even more. Who knows? You don't know until it's actually sold. That's why they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And so now we're we're in a situation where somehow the government's going to come in after the fact and the government's going to decide how much Mar-a-Lago is worth? You really want, what's her name, Letitia James? You know, razor sharp cookie that she is, valuing property? It sounds very, oh, how do we say, I don't know, a little bit Banana Republic. I hate to keep using that term over and over again, but, you know, I used to trade Banana Republics. That was my first job as an analyst on the emerging debt market desk at Goldman Sachs. We were trading Argentina, Brazil, Venezuela, Mexico the sovereign debt of these nations, right? You can't trade Venezuelan debt, or at least Americans can't buy it anymore. So that's not happening because of sanctions. And so, uh, you know, uh, reality is this. The reality is in places like that where you have dictatorships effectively, I mean, that's sort of what Hugo Chavez was. He cleaned out the court. He put all his people in. And then he's like, okay, who do I like? Who do I not like? Mm, I think I'll take that golf course over there. I think I'll take that house over there. Those people can't do business here. I mean, does it sound familiar? This is effectively what Letitia James is sort of seemingly doing. And what's really wild is this is what they're warning us that he is going to do. I don't know if you've been following this, but, you know, there's been a series of commentators on lately saying, be careful, be careful, be careful in 2024 because he's going to go after all his enemies. And I think the point is like, yeah, duh. Like, well, I mean, by the way, like he shouldn't do that. And you know, it's not American. I'm not saying it's right on either side. So don't get me wrong on that. But it's like, what do you think Biden's doing right now? What do you think this going after Trump is all about? They're trying to take out another candidate. I mean, so when he says election interference and they tie him up in all these court cases, you got Fannie Willis down in Georgia that's like, nope, nope, this is going to go all the way through 2024. You know, they want to basically prevent him from being able to go and campaign and do all those things that you need to do, because I guess they know they really can't win any other way now, can they? Uh, that's, that's the problem. And so, you know, you hope it doesn't come to that, but I think there's a good chance that, ladies and gentlemen, like, it feels like, look, we had a good run. I hate to say this. You know, I'm, you know I'm an optimist, but I hate to say this. I mean, 1776... We're now in 2023, so, yeah. What, it's been a good run? Is that it? 
Or maybe you could even limit it to, oh, I don't know, post-World War II era, the U.S. being the sort of central hegemonic power of the world. Is it over? I mean, this is why apparently everybody's thinking about the Roman Empire. You've probably seen the memes. Um, Because when you start going after everyone, and that's what they're doing over and over here, well, that's when you start getting into a really problematic situation. I do have some sound I want to play for you. Let me see if I can pull some of this up. We're we're having our technical challenge today, um, and the team knows as well. So maybe we'll get this. Maybe we'll get this up. Maybe we won't. But I think you get where I'm heading, right? In other words, I I think we're going to be able to do it, actually, after all. I mean, this is really, frankly, kind of just pushing it to the limit. I mean, I don't know what Mar-a-Lago is worth, but I certainly don't want Letitia James deciding what my property might be worth. If you go nearby there down in Florida, this is in Palm Beach. I was on Zillow the other day because I've, I've been through this area. In fact, quite recently there it's Ocean Boulevard where he's located. I think he's like around 1100 South Ocean Boulevard. This is 1300 South Ocean Boulevard that you're looking at there on the screen and 1.3 acres with nothing on it, like no house. That's worth almost $40 million. Well, that's what they're asking for it. Again, you don't know what it's worth until somebody actually buys it. That's the point. So in this case, Letitia James is trying to make those decisions and she's telling Deutsche Bank. I mean, like, why isn't she suing Deutsche Bank? Because they, they were like, great. Okay, well, Deutsche Bank isn't the target. You understand. The target is one person and one person only. And look, believe me, he knows it. He knows it. And, and this is why he's now under a gag order, a gag order that his attorney is just like saying you know, in and of itself is pretty crazy. Here she is again with my, my friend Maria on her weekend show there on Fox Watch. Right now in this Sunday Morning Futures exclusive is President Trump's attorney, Alina Haba. Alina, thanks very much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So we just heard from uh, the AG, Letitia James, talking about this trial. Mm-hmm. She comes out and talks a lot, but President Trump is not allowed to say anything. Yeah, we have a gag order currently um, against certain issues that we can't speak to. And we've seen this on many cases of his. You know, Jack Smith has moved for the same thing. And it's really, you know, it's a First Amendment right. He's also a leading candidate. He has a right to speak. He should speak about anybody and anything that he sees that's corrupt. Uh, But we do, even I, have a limited gag order. You have been complaining about the judge's clerk. And you say that the judge is compromised and the clerk appears compromised. Tell me why. Well, I actually can't tell you why, because I'm gagged. Right. Um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, we'll be filing papers uh, to address all of those issues. And um, the fact that, frankly, Maria, I can't even discuss it with you, and I'm his spokeswoman, I'm his attorney, says a lot about what the judicial system, the state of our judicial system right now. Uh (laughs) Right, doesn't it? It says something. It says a lot. Hey, I just want to recognize all of you that are in the chat. Thanks for being here. Good to have you here today on a live edition of the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do make sure that you come and join us. We are live on YouTube and on Facebook every day. I'm also on Rumble and um, clearly on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So for all you guys that are, you know what, we're going to do that too. I'm going to put the link in. Um, we'll put put the, the link in to Spotify and to Apple Podcasts 
in the chat. We'll get that in. And, and if you could, it would be wonderful to have you go over and just subscribe. Maybe leave a nice comment if you feel so inclined. Five stars, five stars only, please. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, I, I'm just, I'm blown away because we now feel like we have reached a point where we'll be, we have becoming ungovernable. I mean, how, how do we operate like this when we have four lawsuits against the former president and then the the spoiled little bratty, I'm sorry, drug addicted son of the current president that was under investigation, but we couldn't talk about it, right? Because you would just get shut down immediately because there was a deep state saying, no, not allowed, not allowed. I mean, look at what happened to Twitter. I'm pretty glad we live in a country where you get a guy with enough money. What did it cost? $48 million, billion? Dollars. <laughs> I, I, unbelievable amount of money that, that Elon paid. I told you that deal would go through. There was no way he was going to be getting, getting out of it. But I'm so thankful that it did go through and that, you know, look, we, we have to be able to communicate with each other, which is why I love this space and this platform. And I, if, I encourage you, if you haven't subscribed, to make sure that you do subscribe because this is just sort of a very transparent, very frank, very honest environment where I think we can all talk about the things that are real and there's no network, right, it's saying this is okay, this is not okay. And that's important right now. It really is. Um, is, is Steve asking about the corruption. Yeah, I mean, there's, obviously there's some corruption there. There's got to be corruption there. When you think about how they were willing to, to just shut down and slam a story, right? You think about 51 ex-spooks, I like to call them political hacks, that used to work for, you know, pretty prestigious places like the CIA, the former deputy director of the CIA leading the charge with these 51 spooks to, to say that this was false information, that, that Hunter Biden and his laptop were not under investigation at all. In fact, the narrative that they spun was, oh, it's just Rudy Giuliani and the Russians. <clears throat> so Rudy Giuliani getting fake information courtesy of the Russians. Turns out that wasn't true at all. In fact, Hunter was under investigation. And what I suspect will now come out is more and more about what I told you earlier, which is the reality that this came to light at the FBI because of some of his transgressions. I don't even want to say it again because I don't even know if I can. I think this... It's like, you know, kind of going into a zone that social media doesn't probably like very much. Um, but basically those rather <clears throat> uh, unsightly sites that he was going to, they were investigating some of them and that led them to him and some other things. And then what do you know? 70 plus suspicious activity reports. I mean, Wow. You know, I should point out, like, banks don't even want to have to say that, right? Because when they when they report that to the Treasury, like, it really makes them kind of look bad. So it's not something that they even want to have to do. But when you're getting in that much international money, and you've seen some of these financial records, right? Um, you've seen these things. I mean, this one's really interesting to me because this is a check. If you're watching the show live, you're looking at a check that came from Sarah and James Biden for $200,000 that went to Joe Biden. Now, they're alleging, the Democrats are alleging that this is just a, a loan repayment. In fact, that's actually what it says in the memo, but it came at a curious time because I guess the the client that 
the the brother that would be James Biden was working for it, like paid him two hundred thousand dollars a day, and then what do you know? Well, miraculously, it goes to Joe. Um, here's some more. Look, I've I've showed you all this stuff before. Just more of the accounting here, and I think you've got to say to yourself, like, it's just not cool. It's not cool, and. In some ways, you almost don't even care, like, how did it come about, whether it was his indiscretions with his various websites or what it was. I do think you have to get to the bottom of it for the sake of America, because because people ought to know, you know, America is not for sale. Here's Comer talking about this. He's on the House Oversight Committee, James Comer. If you don't know him, you should. Back when they initially launched the impeachment may have been committed as Joe Biden was sold inquiry around the world. The House Oversight Committee, along with the committees on the judiciary and ways and means, will continue to follow the money and the evidence to pr- provide accountability so that Americans know their public offices are not for sale. Ah, right. That's the important thing. You've got to know. I mean, I look at it. I'm like, well, how much do these guys make? Not a lot. Not a lot to live the lifestyle that they kind of need and want to live there in Washington, D.C., Another interesting example of that, the Supreme Court. This week we got news that the Supreme Court was putting in a ethics guide for itself. And I'm like, wait a second, they don't have that? Like, I don't know, you know, like in journalism, we have an ethics guide. Like, you know, you go to work for an organization, they usually have one. And I would also say that most of us, hopefully, maybe just those of us from another generation are guided by some principles, right? Because you want to make sure that you are, are being fair and you don't want to run with false information. It's one of the reasons why I was really surprised that that um, report, the dossier was ever published. I think BuzzFeed, which no longer exists, was the original one that published that dossier. I looked at the dossier and I felt that it would be highly irresponsible to actually publish something like that because I could not verify it. And there was no way that, you know, I wanted to have such explosive information without some verification process. I I say this knowing that when I looked at it, I was like, wait a second, this reads like opposition research, right? This is opposition research. I feel like this is going straight to the reporter at the National Enquirer, and they're just going to package it and put it out on grocery store shelves tomorrow. And so as a journalist, you say, okay, let me take a step back here and be more cautious about all of that. And I I think probably a, a lot of those Standards have been manipulated. They're being changed. They're being changed in part because of the bias, right, from each side and how much is at stake. And so I think you've seen a lot of corruption within Washington, D.C. and within the media. And I bring this full circle back to the Supreme Court and the news that we got this week, again, because there's no sort of ethic guidelines. I'm like, how, how can that be, guys? Like, you know, you're just kind of in the most important position in the world, effectively, like this, this might matter more, right, than than the presidency. This is kind of a big deal. You're on the Supreme Court, and you're making $235,000 a year. It might be like 240, it might be 225. But it's in that range. It's like less than $250,000 a year. Now, um, you say, okay, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But um, after taxes, right? What is it? Making one hundred and twenty-five, one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year there as a Supreme Court justice. Well, let's think through this for a minute. You got three kids in school at fifty k a pop. Uno, dos, tres. Gosh, that's that's going to cost you more than you have 
to take home, right? Like if 50, 100, 150, but you're only taking home 125. So much for that $235,000 salary and, you know, all that, all that time working through law school and all that good stuff. I, it, it's, it's not enough, right? So I'm sort of amazed that we haven't done more, one, to ensure the ethics of these judges and ensure that they sign on to something. Something somebody said to me the other day was, well, why should they have to? I mean, like, shouldn't this be so incredibly obvious? I'm like, yeah, you know, it should. But apparently it's not. And maybe it's not because these people aren't making any money and I don't know how they even live in D.C. and are sending their kids to their fancy schools given that, by the way, that's not covered by the government, not that I know of, right? So you're relying on the kindness of strangers, for your luxury vacations and your private jets. Come on. Like, that's just wrong, fundamentally wrong. I don't care who does it, either side, it's just wrong. And you should have some kind of internal governance, I would think. But whatever we should be doing, right, to just make sure that people can at least pay their bills. I mean, the the, the presidency has not gotten a raise. You know, Donald Trump only took a dollar. That's how the presidency, by the way, should be, right? Like, you want people that are not in it for the money. Um, but I guess George W. is the first to get the 400 k and that has not gone up since him. So that was a lot of years ago. Prior to that, the presidency paid 200 k a year, and the guy who got that was, like, Nixon. So... <laughs> I mean, Bidenomics, anyone? Have you heard of inflation, anyone? So like, you know, the, the Supreme Court justices, they get two, $3,000 extra a year. I know that you probably don't have any pity on them. And I, I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying that there's something kind of warped here because they have a pretty prestigious job. They're not going to be able to live in Washington, D.C., in that surrounding community, which is very, very expensive, send their kids to the, you know, special schools, all that kind of thing. Not that they should. Maybe, maybe we ought to just, here's an idea, actually make our public schools are public schools good enough that everybody would want to go there, right? That might be the fair way to approach it. Anyway, um, it, I'm just, again, reading some of your comments. Mike is very chatty today. Good to hear from you, Mike. <laughs> Leslie, thank you, Don. Appreciate it. As always, I want to turn to what's going on in Israel because we've got some news um, that you may not have heard. This surprised me. I had heard some rumors about this from people in the military and some family members of those in the military just talking about all the recent attacks on U.S. bases. But what I did not realize was that there have been at least 55 times that U.S. and coalition troops have been attacked in Iraq and Syria since October 17th. So 10 days after October 7th, 59 Americans have been injured in these attacks. So this is really not good. And when I say, look, you know, first it's Israel, then it's us. I'm not kidding. Like we, we need to understand the enemy that we are up against. And that would be this religious extremism that's rooted in terror coming from Iran coming from Palestine, coming from ISIS in Syria. And so for members of Congress to sit there and cry about Israel, look, I, 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 I think we can all at least you know, understand it. It's not good when innocent people die, period. But to somehow suggest that 
and they did this from the beginning. It's Israel's fault. After 1,400 people were slaughtered, innocents were slaughtered, and Israel has no right to go into Gaza and actually retaliate. To suggest that is really pretty egregious. And yet this is what we keep hearing over and over and over again. And now they're trying to turn it on its head because, well, if you listen to Ilhan Omar, Ilhan Omar is making the point that if you're humane, then you should want to ceasefire immediately. But keep in mind, they never wanted Israel going after any any uh, of, of Palestine to begin with, any of Hamas. They wanted, what, Israel to roll over and play dead? The minute Israel does that, I'm telling you guys, we are at risk. Here's Ilhan Omar, and it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder in some ways just who's here, right? The biases they have don't feel very American right now. Something fascinating and bizarre um, in the fact that there are people who seem to be upset that there are rabbis and people, other people of faith out here asking for ceasefire. And it's, it's bizarre because you would assume that if you are a religious leader, if you are a faith leader, that your number one priority would be to look into your faith into the teachings of your faith and to say, I oppose violence. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Israel very much opposed the violence that Hamas inflicted on those innocent people. I know Israel opposed the rape, the executions, the burning of human beings alive that Hamas engaged in, Ilhan Omar. But let's not forget who started this. Do not pretend that that didn't happen. The problem we have now is that there is a team over and over there, again in Washington, D.C., and around the world, that wants to somehow believe something else. And that is going to lead us down a very bad and treacherous path. The BBC just having to come out and apologize because it got its story wrong on the Gaza hospital bombing. They tried to tell us that Israel was bombing the Gaza hospital. And Israel's like, no, 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 actually, that is the Palestinians doing that. And... They actually had a significant amount of proof, including tape-recorded conversations. I'll play one for you here. This is from the IDF, where the Palestinians are talking. Forgive me. You can even become the nominee. (laughs) That's Hillary Clinton. Oopsie. Um, But anyway, the IDF, here we go. Take a look. So one Hamas operative is saying to the other, okay, so wait a second, like, what's going on here? Um, they say they're saying it belongs to the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And the operative says, wait, is it from us? And the other operative says, it looks like it. Well, who says this? They are saying that the shrapnel from the missile is local shrapnel and not like Israeli shrapnel. Well, what are you saying then? And all of a sudden, oh, silence. 
You know what they're saying. Oh, God bless. It couldn't have been from another, found another place to explode. And he says, never mind. The cemetery behind the hospital, he's talking about where it is. What? He said, yeah, they shot it from the cemetery behind the hospital and it misfired and it fell on them. And he goes, there's a cemetery behind it? He's like, yeah, the cemetery. It's exactly in the compound. And then there's silence because the prime processes. He's like, where is it when you enter the compound? It goes on and on. But basically the point is, these are the Hamas operatives realizing that they are the idiots that actually bombed themselves. And yet you have the BBC, even the New York Times was trying to blame Israel. Everybody wants to blame Israel. Like, what's that about? Because I kid you not, like the kind of stuff that you're seeing, this hatred of anyone who succeeds, like it's Israel today, it's us tomorrow. I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. And I think that it's got to be very, very loud and clear where we stand on this. But, you know, it's hard when you got people like this in our government. Ceasefire means there is no military solution, only a diplomatic and cultural solution, a relational solution, a reckoning with ourselves and our history. That is what ceasefire now means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so she's she's not exactly the brightest woman. I am stunned that she was an economics major at Boston University not a great school, but she was an economics major. So often I'll try and like give someone some street cred for that. But I think she subscribed to the um, Marxist school of economics, right? The socialist that she is. So she's not terribly bright, but what she's missing in all of this and the reason why the ceasefire immediately doesn't work. And even Hillary Clinton knows that, ladies and gentlemen, even Hillary Clinton, the ceasefire doesn't work because Israel has tried to play nice over and over and over again. I mean, they even had to dig up graves at one point, you know, with the resettlement. They, they brought everybody back. They gave this land back to the Palestinians. But the, the Palestinians elected Hamas, and Hamas has no reason for being and can't survive financially without the help from Iran, right, that it gets. And so as a result of this, you have a system set up that is designed to always encourage hate of Israel. So unless you get in there and you get some kind of grand marshal plan where you're going to stamp out and eradicate this extremist religion, then I don't know where you go with this because the two-state solution doesn't really seem to be working. I think Israel has no choice, no choice but to go in there and to monitor them because they've shown what can happen when they back off. And Jake Sullivan, the head of our NSC, took over for Bolton, of course, in this administration. He doesn't get it either. I mean, he's drinking some kind of la-la land Kool-Aid. This is what he was saying just weeks just weeks before October 7th. Why? Because he was so proud. You know, there were $6 billion that they were giving back to Iran. Really pathetic. Here he is. Now, granted, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback, but come on. Did you really have to take some giant victory lap knowing that you should have known that things were not that stable? It shows what a failure this administration is as far as our intelligence gathering, surely. And what we said is we want to depressurize, de-escalate, and ultimately integrate the Middle East region. The war in Yemen is in its 19-month of truce. For now, the Iranian attacks against U.S. forces have stopped. Our presence in Iraq is stable. I emphasize for now because all of that can change. And the Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. Hmm. Great. Yeah, that was uh, just before October 7th. 
So they don't get it. They're naive. And we've got people here in this country, Christopher Ray warned again, this is the head of the FBI, about Hamas-style attacks happening in this country. And we've got people like Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and many others that really don't see things like we do. And then there's just, you know, the general public, which likes to spend a Saturday night tearing down the U.S. flag there on a 43rd Street there at the U.N. I mean, this is just... This is where we are, not to mention the political component, which was well outlined by the honorary squad member, Jamal Brown. People of color are disengaged. Muslims are disengaged. The Arab community is vehemently excuse me, upset at the president's handling of what's happening in Gaza. Hmm. So because of all that, Joe Biden just avoided going to a very critical rally, a historic rally on Tuesday. I know. They're, oh, well, he was on his way to San Francisco. I'm sorry. It takes six hours to get to San Francisco, right? And you're going to pick up three hours on the way. You should have gone to this rally, but he didn't. He didn't. And, and that's actually pretty wild to me. I mean, it was a big deal rally. At least Hakeem Jeffries, he, he's a prominent Democrat. At least he's saying good stuff. For how long? I don't know. Watch on MSNBC this morning. Saying the opposite, things like from the river to the sea, or saying that Joe Biden is responsible for genocide. These are Democratic members of Congress. What's your response to them? Well, I've made clear that I believe from the river to the sea uh, is a dangerous chant uh, because effectively, as has been echoed by Hamas, it is calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. And we're going to continue to support our close friend and ally. We have a special relationship between the United States and Israel. We have shared democratic values and shared strategic interests. But I think it's also important to make the moral case for Israel, which is the reality that for thousands of years, Jews have been ejected from country after country, subject to pain and persecution and pogroms, uh, anti-Semitic hatred, of course, uh, the Holocaust and the horrors of that crime against humanity. And now it's and happening all over again. And it's sanctioned by the likes of Harvard University, who just now, like within the last couple of days, started backing off some of its rhetoric. Why? Because they have to, because donors are fleeing. Thank you very much. And, and, and now there's a group saying, oh, well, you know, it, it's all rooted in racism and this and that. You know, it's all what they go back to the well. Why? Because they want to divide, 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 divide and conquer. Right. Like this is easy, easy stuff for them. And we're allowing them to win. And we got to stop. You know, at some point you got to draw a line in the sand and say there is such a thing as morality. And Joe Biden, please do me a favor and just wake up to it. I mean, I know you're, I know you're sleepy. I know you're sleepy. I know, I know it's hard. I, I know you're not all there, right? You know, and, and I feel for you in that sense. I mean, it's, it's not right when your president clearly is, is not inspiring any kind of confidence whatsoever. And we've seen the video multiple times of that. But nonetheless, like to ignore the Israel rally and instead go do your climate thing, Today, I'm proud to announce that my administration just released the fifth climate assessment on our nation's history. It didn't just come from out of thin air. Written yeah, over yeah, four yeah. years. Listen, we got, we got big problems. And I know you want to make that the main one, but we've got a really big one. And 
It's called the Middle East. And for you guys like Jake Sullivan to pretend like it's all fine and hunky-dory, you know, it shows how out of touch he was, and hopefully he's getting a clue. But listen, he's he's the one along with the rest of them, right? Blinken and Biden, the greenlit, maybe Obama too, the uh, $6 billion with the hostage exchange. Since when did we pay for hostages? Anyway, I, I want to point this one out. I just said earlier, you know, you have to worry about who is among us. Rashida Tlaib is, quote, according to this report, this is in Daily Mail, New York Post has it as well, a longtime member of a closed Facebook group where members glamorize these Hamas terrorists and brand October 7th slaughter as, quote, the achievements of the resistance. She's been in this group since 2018. And I I would just say, why? I mean, you're... you're a representative for the United States of America. This is something called the Palestinian American Congress. You can't access it unless you're a member. And it apparently was founded by somebody who is said to be a friend and fundraiser for Tlaib, who has raised a lot of money for Rashida Tlaib and has been accused of making, per the Daily Mail, social media posts discussing the Holocaust in a negative light. On October 12th, five days after Hamas's brutal assault on Israel, a member wrote in the group, we don't want to throw you in the sea. We want to ride it back from where you came from. I mean, it goes on. It's really bad. I'm not going to read this stuff. I don't want to. I don't know why this is, you know, something that she would be part of because this particular really bad message was also accompanied by a picture um, of an elderly Jewish woman there in Israel with Hamas terrorists. So they're like celebrating this stuff. And she's part of that. Like she's part of that private group. All while our troops, we have about 900 troops in Syria. We've got about 2,500 more scattered there throughout the Middle East are getting attacked. And we've had 55 attacks with 59 Americans being injured since October 17th. Who's here? Who who are these people that hate us so much and now are entrenched in government and in in places where they can have a lot of effect in a very negative way? I mean, that's these are things you got to think about, right? They're really really important things to think about. Anyway, I just want to go out to all of your comments. I want to thank you for being here. I want to remind you to subscribe. I put by the way the show, the the podcast, the audio version of the show on Spotify and on Apple. It's all free for you every day. We thank our sponsor, Legacy Precious Metals, of course, for all they do for that. If you would please subscribe to that, it would be just wonderful. I mean, I I, I am looking at all your your comments, and I I just want to thank you again. Yeah, I I got you. USA, right? Go USA, Leslie. I mean, Mary pointing out earlier when we were talking about the Supreme Court, yeah, it's not a whole lot of money for that role. And we want to make sure that people are not incentivized to do, you know, bad things, which one would hope they would not be. But we've we got to have all the ducks lined up, right, in a row, right? And we got to get to the bottom of whatever Hunter did today. we got to get to the bottom of whatever Joe Biden is doing today by way of Donald Trump and the alleged election interference shall we say. Anyway, great to have you here. I will be back again tomorrow. I'm sure we'll have some more breaking news, of course. Great to see you. And uh, we'll continue the conversation. You can write in the comments there below. Thanks, everyone.